Father, as we come now to open your word, we ask that through your Holy Spirit, you'd open our hearts, our minds, and receive what you have for us today. We acknowledge this morning together that this is your word, your one and only word. There is no other. There is only one gospel. It is you. It is your good news. And we ask, Lord, that you would cause us to rest in your grace today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Continuing this morning in the We Believe series that we've been doing following through the statement of faith in our, uh, that we just adopted, which was basically parallel to what we already had, but just a little more meat and a little more clarification to it. And today we're going to be looking at the ordinance of baptism. And I was... Uh, Going through all of my notes, and I've got books that go back into the 1970s, which isn't old for everybody here, but uh, they're books that, that I got when I was uh, actually, in some cases, before I was a Christian. And uh, It's uh, one of those things where there is so many different thoughts that come with the word baptism. And so what I've decided to do is I'm going to share what the, the bylaws say, and then I'm pretty much just going to share uh, what it is that I see within the framework of baptism. I'm not going to try to do a, a whole dissertation on it. And uh, if you have questions about it, uh, don't hesitate to ask me later. Uh, you might come up to say, well, how did you get from point A to point B I, I, or C? You know, I, There's something in between there. So... Uh, and that happens sometimes. So don't hesitate to ask me if you have questions after the service. Um, I had the uh, passage in Acts uh, read this morning in reference to Peter's uh, sermon on the day of Pentecost, which was the first official preaching, if you will, of the Word of God in, in a sense of the church beginning. And... The, and we ha I just picked it up at verse 22 because that was the part that focused on Christ and what He has done and who He is, and then left it with that, that final verse, verse 36, uh, where we'll pick up uh, this morning in our, in our teaching. Verse 36 says, Let all the house of Israel therefore now for, uh, know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified referring to whom he has just preached uh, the, the, the prior verses. And then verse 37, Now when they heard this, those who were hearing this were all the people that were gathered on the day of Pentecost uh, and were hearing the disciples sharing. They'd heard the, a strange sound like rushing waters. They'd heard uh, sounds from heaven that sounded like thunder to some people. And other people that sounded like just strange babbling. They didn't understand it. And then a, a number of people said, man, I've just heard uh, things being said in my own language. And there were multiple languages represented there on the day of Pentecost, literally from all over the Roman Empire. And so what was happening was the Holy Spirit, and, and of course we go back to Acts, further back in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit came upon the, 
the, the disciples that were waiting in the upper room. And it wasn't just the apostles' disciples. There was 120 waiting in the upper room and had been praying for uh, since Jesus' ascension, actually, for 10 days. Uh, I have my own scenario for the picture there in the sense that uh, Paul shares at one point that there were 500 people who saw Jesus and, 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 could, and they, he says, in defending the idea of an eyewitness account and, and said, and most of them are still alive today. We need, you can go check this out for yourself. You can ask them. And I've heard one or well, more than one say it might have been at the ascension that there were the 500 people there waiting for it to happen, you know, not knowing what was going on. And he said, I, now before I, you know, I don't want you to, to hang around here. I want you to go back into Jerusalem and, for the, and, and wait until the Holy Spirit comes. You'll know when it happens. And, uh, and just wait and pray. And somehow I have in my mind that they all might have gone back uh, to, to Jerusalem to pray, but only 120 lasted the 10 days. It was kind of like waiting on it and saying, well, I don't get it or whatever. Uh, but the 120 were there, and they, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they started speaking in, in other tongues. I'm not going to get into that as far as what the, all the dimensions that could go with that. But the reality was there were a number of people who heard them speaking as if they were hearing it in their own native tongue. And I don't and I know that not everybody did, because the very fact of the way Peter dressed, hey, you know, we're not drunk like you think. We're not just babbling on here. You know, we're we're you know, this is what we're talking. And then in the, the Aramaic, he goes on and, and, and preaches the sermon that he preaches, both tying the Old Testament into what had happened and then preaching Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. So after they have heard this, this is the key to this, after they had heard this and heard what Peter had said, they, they basically said, brothers, what shall we do? Now, uh, it says that they were cut to the heart. Verse 37 says they were cut to the heart. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? This idea of being cut to the heart is the idea of, of, of being convicted. God has broken their heart over, over sin and over Christ and what has happened. They don't know what to do now. But if this is, you know, and I say if, like Peter might use it or Paul might use it in, in their writing. If this is true, then there must be a response. And that's exactly what had happened. Their hearts had been convicted. This is truth. Their hearts are crushed. They're broken. They're, they're pierced to the heart. And they say, what do we do now? What's the, what's the next step? And classic scripture, uh, Peter says to them, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise for this, you know, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Us. Far off. For all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word, and the idea again here, received, 
to the point where it was requiring action of them. They knew they needed to do something. Brothers, what must we do? Those who had received the word were baptized, and there added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, there was more than 3,000 people there, but 3,000 people, I think these for sure were the ones that were hearing in their own languages and, 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 and were caught to this. And, and God was just embracing them, calling them, and, and as they received what God had for them, they, they, their hearts were crushed, and they, 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 they said, what must we do? Peter says, be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I believe the gift of the Holy Spirit at the point in time that he's talking there is very clearly the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In other words, when you're baptized, when, in fact, when you receive Christ, the indwelling, a spiritual thing happens. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and in a sense, confirms that conviction of, of, of your broken heart over sin and, and, and the fact that He's there, that you've received forgiveness, and it's a confirmation. Some people say, well, how will you know? I can't explain it other than you, you, you know. You, you feel it. You sense it. It's there. And some people say, oh, that's just because you want it so bad. I, I'm not, I don't know what to say to that uh, because the answer is, yeah, at that point, I want it so bad. Uh, I, uh, and quite candidly, the day before, I didn't want it at all. Uh, and, and so uh, I, I know that something has happened in the way I think, the way I feel. And for me, it was I literally had in my mind, okay, now what do I do next? Well, I need to go to a church. I, I, I need to... to uh, go and and I know because I had been reading and studying about it. I knew that I needed to be baptized, and it was as clear as I could. I mean, reading through the Gospels and then especially reading through the Book of Acts, you saw it over and over and over again. This pattern of they they heard the preaching and and and, and an event happened, and then they were baptized. Sometimes they you know uh, they it seems like they got it out of order and, and, and at points and times, but it's not because it was out of order. It's because the the writer is describing what happened, but the reality is, is that you find a conviction after hearing the word of God. Romans points that out. You hear the word; that's how it goes out, and then you there's a conviction and of your sin and a and a need to be right with God and the understanding that it's through Christ. I'll tell you what; I didn't understand much more than that. All I could see was I needed Jesus Christ. I still did not understand the resurrection. I still did not understand creation. I still, in fact, I really didn't understand anything other than I was a sinner, helplessly, hopelessly lost, and I needed salvation, and Jesus Christ was the only way. That's what I grasped. But I understood, like I said, this much after that was I need to go to a church where I can... I can uh, be baptized. I didn't even, you know, think about it past that point. Kathy's mom, we were we were living with her mom at the time. She says, "Well, I've got, I've got a church you can go to, you know, kind of like, you know, it's the the one I go to." And uh, I'm thinking, "Well, I, you know, you know, I I, I won't know anybody." And all, all of a sudden, those all those things, I'll I'll feel weird. I'll I, I don't do this. Go to church. How does it work? Yeah. And she gave me a sense. Of, she says. She says, you remind me, what's happening to you reminds me of one of the, the guys that works at the hospital. 
And she started talking about how he went through similar ups and downs and experiences and, and, and came to the Lord. And she says that he goes to the, this church too. And he got baptized, and, 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 and he's now one of the leaders in the church. And I said, oh, and she says, yeah, Ray Cartwright. My eyes popped open. Ray Cartwright, like about so tall, goatee. He was my bar hopping buddy and, and classmate in college. My, that, and, I, and I just figured if they could help Ray, they could help me. And I was right. I don't agree with all the things that that church held in their very legalistic way. Certain things that uh, kind of like you know, no cards, no dancing, no, t- uh, no going to the movies. Uh, different things, but at the point in time that I came into the Lord, I needed a strict environment, and I'll tell you, it did help. It helped me get navigated to going the right direction. But they did baptize. Now, I didn't understand the idea of the free gift of the Holy Spirit other than the fact that the books that I had, the most recent books that I had, had been given to me by a Pentecostal couple, and so I expected I was going to come up out of the baptism speaking in tongues. You've got to understand, this is, I'm, I'm the guy that's just, I'm, I'm totally novice. It's only what I've read that I can figure out. And that was the way I put it together. And it's not what happened. And, 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 I, and it caught me off guard a little bit, but I was so excited just because there was, I knew that I had been buried with Christ. That, that, that I that kind of went by the wayside. But afterwards, I talked with the, 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 one of the uh, friends of mine there. I said, where's the speaking in tongues? And he looked at me. And he told me that, Ron told me that if I had come up speaking in tongues, they would have put me back under. And the reason was was that they were a church that believed that some of the gifts had ceased with the apostles, and that was one of them. And uh, uh, I never quite understood that. And from what I can read, I, I still don't agree with that, but uh, it doesn't change the fact that this environment was the place God put me first, and it was what got me started on my road to walking with the Lord. So there's kind of my picture of, of how I confessed, Repented, my heart was pierced. I knew baptism needed to be a part of it. I, I asked, "Where's the church, you know, to, to go to to do this?" And and God provided an avenue. What was interesting, by the way, my friend Ray Carwright, he wasn't even there anymore. He was at Bible college, uh, preparing to go into the ministry. So uh, I ended up going to the same school he went to. Just I figured if they can help him, they can help me. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, you know, what shall we do? Repent, be baptized. The picture of baptism I'll get into in a second, uh, but it's a public action. This isn't something that's done privately. This is something that's done within the framework of the family of God. It doesn't mean that it's done uh, in a church building necessarily. It can be done in a, in a swimming pool. It can be done in a water trough. It can, it, it can be done in a laundry basket in a prison. I mean, it's, it's, it's not the place, it's not the issue. The issue is, is that it's done in the sense of a public act shared with believers that, that 
you are, are being baptized and it's revealing what has already taken place in the spirit, spiritual sense. When those 3,000 that day had been baptized, it's because they had already been received by Jesus Christ as children of God. The next step was to identify with that through baptism. And that's what they did. And as you go on and read in verse 47 of Acts chapter 2, the last verse, and it says, Day by day uh, there was more being added to the church. They heard the message repeated again and again. There was more saved. And note, by the way, as you read verse 47, it says, uh, They were gathering together and they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord added. I just a side note, we cannot save anybody. The Lord is the one who does that. Our responsibility, and I put it like this in the sense of a pastor on a Sunday morning, my responsibility is to set the table and invite you to feed on the Word of God to the best of my ability as, as one who could serve it to you. And the Holy Spirit... And it works the, 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 the work of, of, of the wonder of what's going on in the heart and the mind. So the fact that not everybody in a room hears the, the, the word of, that hears the word of God is automatically going to be saved. And it's, it's, there's a work that happens in the heart where there's an actual brokenness, a pierced heart, a heart that is cut, is wounded in a sense over sin. And then the need for Christ is you know, to, to, to save you. The reality that you are, are lost and you, you need a Savior. And, so this, and you see this pattern in the book of Acts repeated. Uh, the word goes out. The hearts are convicted. There's repentance. And, and believers confess. And there's baptism. And it, it happens over and over and over again in the book of Acts. And so what is happening? And uh, I, I was reading... Uh, there's a guy by the name of Bobby Jameson who has written a book, Going Public. And it's about the idea of baptism. And, and, and I would probably stand fairly close to Jameson in the sense of what he sees. That well, Read our bylaws, you'll see that in a second. And that is, is that baptism is a, a, is a prerequisite to being a member in a congregational church. And here's why he sees it that way. It is how you visibly signify that you are united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And he goes immediately to uh, Romans chapter 6. And, and, and uh, so I'll read those, share these verses with you that, that he puts in his, his, in his book. Do you not know, verse 3 of Romans chapter 6, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus... We're baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. Notice first off that he, he makes the, 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 the picture fairly clear. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized Christ Jesus. And, and the idea is that this is a normal practice that we have been buried with Christ and raised with Christ to walk 
in a new life. And I think we all are in agreement that that's what, what, what is happening. There's a transformation that starts to happen in your life. And you start to see the world through different eyes. Uh, your worldview, if you will, starts to change. And, and Christian principles start to take the place of worldly principles. Things that you sought and enjoyed and sought after from a world's point of view now become less important in the sense of what you seek and looking after Christ. Some things will go completely by the wayside. Some others you might struggle with. But the bottom line is that there's a desire and a want to change and there's a change going on, a transformation going on. And he says, the reason for this you know, is, is because Christ in you, the Holy Spirit is in you. However, he does point out this picture of this public confession of identifying yourself with Christ. You, and I, and I, I know you've seen me do this before, but the, you're in the water. Here's the water. You walk down into the water, and you are baptized. You are buried with Christ. What happens at the point that you go under the water? You, the water closes in over you like a grave. Some people have actually referred to it, and a few songs refer to it as a watery grave. And, and so you're buried with Christ. What happens next? They bring you back up, and, and you're raised with Christ. You take a fresh breath of air, and the idea is, is that, 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 you are, are, that, that you are walking. The idea is the desire and, and, and to walk in the new way, in the new life. And you've identified now through this particular ordinance. It's the only ordinance outside of communion that Jesus put together before us that would be that kind of stamp that this is, who, you know, this is what believers do to identify themselves universally with the church. And we've all, through our faith, accepted Christ and, 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 and an act of, of, of obedience and faith to be a symbol and, and a picture of what has happened to us. We've been buried with Christ and raised with Christ to walk in that newness of life, that transformation that the Holy Spirit is doing in us. He also points out in his book, it is how you are uh, uh, identified within the framework of the church and the world. In other words, this is, you know, this having had done this, it, it, it says, oh, that's a person who's made that commitment. That, that, that's what's in his heart. That's what has happened uh, to him. He's, he's made a choice for, for Christ. And he says it also shows our relationship, and I hadn't quite thought about it. I mean, I understand it, but I'd never put it in quite these words uh, in the sense that it... it, it also identifies us with the triune God. If you do it according to how Jesus proposed we do it, and I don't think it was a, a suggestion, I think it was the idea of, of this is how it is to be done, he, he said very clearly in, in, in Acts chapter 28, the last few verses, Jesus came to them and he says, I, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so this is what I want you to do. Go therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. As you're making disciples, the implication is, is, is that there will be some who believe. Baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jameson was pointing out, it's, it's to, making a statement here of our identity with the, with the, the triune God, the, the fullness of who God is. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
So the process was as we go out and, 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 and preach Christ and those that become, uh, you know, uh, receive Christ as their Savior, they are baptized and they enter in and become a part of the church and they enter into a fellowship of believers so that they can be what? Taught all the things that, that the Scripture says. And that's where the transformation gets its, its, its meat as to how to, what to do. He had another phrase in there. He said, baptism is where faith goes public. I thought that was a pretty simple way to put it. It's a declaration. It's a change of citizenship. I really like that part. I've, I've preached on that a number of times over the years, but it's a change of citizenship. I am no longer of this world. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. I'm a part of the kingdom of God. I'm a citizen in heaven. It's not what I was before. This is what I am now, and that is an eternal relationship. Um, uh, again, it's a public declaration of what has taken place in the soul. I'd mentioned that it's one of two ordinances that, uh, that Jesus put in place. Last week, uh, Levi talked about communion, did an excellent message on communion, and, and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and the significance of, of the, the bread and the, and the cup and, and all that we get from that and the reality that he's coming again. We'll be sharing this feast with him again in, in, is, is an awesome thought. And both of those, the communion as well as baptism, are basically to mark off uh, the, 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 the children of God from the world, to, to say these are who the children of God are. And so Scripture says as often as they were gathering together, and it's like Levi said, it could have been more than once a week even. Uh, he implied that, but, but frequently, as often as they gathered together, they shared communion. Okay, and, and so uh, we don't share baptism as often as we gather together other than the fact that we share it in the sense that that's what brings us to the table. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in us and the fact that baptism is that symbolic picture that we are a part of that. There's a term that uh, you probably hear periodically. I don't know if you know fully what it understands, but it, it basically is the idea of believer's baptism. Who's heard that term before? Believer's baptism? Anybody in here? Just a few of you. Um, it's a phrase that draws a distinction in the idea of Basically, when a baptism should occur. And I will share with you that, you know, uh, what you have is a pattern of hearing the Word of God, conviction of, of sin, repentance, and a receiving of Christ as your Savior, and then baptism. Identifying and saying, I have chosen to identify, the baptism is saying, I have chosen to identify myself with Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection. I desire to walk in His steps. I desire to walk in His Word. And you're, you're signifying your agreement with that through the baptism. You're, you're agreeing to this, uh, what has already happened in your heart, 
Okay, the believers, that's a believer being baptized. That's all believers' baptism is saying. It's someone who is aware of, of what they have, uh, what they are doing. So if you're, you're understanding baptism the way I see it and the way I'm sharing it with you this morning, you'll obviously come to a conclusion that infant baptism isn't the same thing. And I will suggest to you that it's not. I know that that's a debate. I know that, that, that you know, people go up and down about it one way or the other. But I have gone through the Scripture as best I can, and the fact that a couple of households were baptized doesn't mean the infants were. It just means the, those who were of age were. And you've got to understand even the customs that go back to the people even at that point when they say the whole household. Uh, there, and as I read through all of the accounts where it's personalized so that you can understand it, there isn't a way that, that it can be outside of a, a person who is able to make a conscious decision that they are a sinner and they need a Savior. People say, oh, well, what's the age limit? You know, how, what's the youngest that you would baptize? I, quite candidly, I, I, you know, at one point there was, there was, I I'd read a book and they said, you know, we don't baptize anybody under the age of 12. And, and, and that kind of coincided with the Jewish context of when does a, a young boy make a transition to being an adult in his 12th or his 13th year when he, you know, the year that he becomes 12. He's in his 13th year of life and he becomes a son of the, of, of the law, a bar mitzvah. And uh, that attitude is so that they don't take a, a, a child who is, oh, well, this is the next step of what Sunday school does. Or this is the next step of, this is what my grandmother thinks should happen. In other words, the idea is, is they've been through enough church and, they, and they've been through some classes. They understand what they're doing separate from what grandma has done or the church has, does or or what their parents or their older brothers and sisters or their best friends have done. It's something that they understand. I, I don't know that 12 is an age mark as much as there's an awareness. And I think the parents have an idea, Parents are responsible for deciding when their children are aware of that. And uh, I've had many times uh, uh, parents uh, uh, come to me and tell me that their, their kids would like to be baptized. In a couple of cases where I've sat down with some kids, sometimes I've said, I don't know that you know, it's quite time yet. Other times, it, there's no doubt in my mind. This kid is ready to, he understands and he's ready. Or she. So, the idea of believer's baptism is, is, is baptism is, is, is something that follows a conscious confession of faith. And, and uh, at that point, then, is where the transformation really begins. You've made a profession of faith. Things begin to change in your life. Now, somebody says, what happens if you don't get baptized immediately? Well, I didn't get baptized for a month, uh, but I guess that's not a real long time. Um, however, I was being told, because this particular group believed that if you didn't get baptized, there was a question mark as to whether your salvation was intact. And I said, so I could receive, and I, you know, me, I, if you know me, you know how I can be the devil's advocate, even, even from a believer's point of view. And, and I said, so I'm on the plane, I receive Christ, the plane crashes, I'm doomed. 
And basically the guy said, yeah. Well, that's not what, that's not. When you receive Christ, it's a done deal. That's when it happens. That's when the transformation happens. That's when the Holy Spirit enters in. That's when, that's when you're saved. We're talking about identifying yourself with the rest of the church in a formal declaration of who you are and that you are in agreement. This is what has happened to you and, and you are, are celebrating it together. And, and it's, it's kind of like, in fact, uh, Jameson actually puts it in the category, it's in a sense, like a wedding vow. You know, you, 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 you're making a statement. He, he, he was careful not to try to pull the whole marriage thing into it at this point. But the idea was is that these are the words of, of declaration. Yes, Lord, I identify with what you have done for me. I want to be, I am, and I desire to be joined to you eternally and follow after you. But the idea is, is that also I'm making a public declaration. I want to walk in a newness of life. What does it mean to walk in a newness of life? Well, one thing is it means is that I don't go back and just live my life like nothing happened. I was raised in a home uh, that uh, my my stepdad I, I know had drifted away from the Lord. In fact, he his 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 dad when he got. Uh, the, divorced and remarried, and he got to go through all sorts of crazy things with this, but the bottom line was he had to go through special permission and courses and classes, and he to become Catholic to marry the woman that he wanted to marry. So my stepdad considered himself a Catholic then, okay? And, and so, uh, you know, and, but we never went to church except Easter and, and, and Christmas Eve. I remember the, the, my mom getting all excited that all five of her kids were in church at the same time for the first time on one Christmas Eve. Um, you know, so, uh, but that was it. That was church. The rest of the time, there was no evidence of a Christian lifestyle in our home. We didn't go to church. Uh, profanity was the common, you know, part of the vernacular of the home. Playboy magazine sat on the coffee table. Um, I, you know, there, was, there was nothing that would indicate you would, you, if you walked into our home you would say they were heathens <laughs> you know um, from, a, from that, that religious point of view it was obvious that there were you know, nothing happening there was no transformation going on I can't answer as to when my mom was, was saved when my dad was saved my stepdad I, I know where they stood at the end of their lives and their commitment but, but the issue is is that the idea of wanting to walk as a newness of life is, is to submit to the, to the Word of God, to submit to the Lord, to be a part of a fellowship where we're encouraged to seek after the way of Christ. I'm not going to go into great detail with it this morning just because of the time limit uh, that I impose on myself sometimes and, you know, so I don't go on and on and on. But in a whole other sermon, I would get into the idea, and in fact, you could go through it in, in Ephesians uh, where the idea to to put off and to put on. To put off falsehood and to put on truth, for instance. To to desire to to uh, you know put off uh, the idea of gossiping and, and that type of thing and, and put on encouragement and encouraging words. Ephesians goes through a number of things like that. 
Paul is really amazing how many times he'll tell you to put off something, and right around the corner he tells you to put on something in its place. And a lot of times some, that might be missing in some churches where they, they tell you what to put off, but they, they're not real quick to tell you what to put on. And, uh, you know, the idea is, is uh, don't, you know, put off the, the drunkenness and, 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 and the things that, that, that are, make you drunk in the world and, and, and put on, uh, you know, Christ or put, you know, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the idea is that this newness of life is to put off things of the world and ways of the world that are offensive before the throne of God. Well, how do you find out what's offensive before, before God? You read his word. You get involved with a, a fellowship where the teaching of the word is going on. You choose to find teachers to, to, to listen to and or read uh, or both and uh, find out how to understand the word of God. And I'll tell you, it's an amazing thing. Initially, I just I, I, all I could see were the big things in my life that needed to be put off. But I started struggling with certain things that needed to be put off. And it was kind of, I, you've heard me share this before, it was like the outer core of an artichoke. You know, the, the crusty parts that you just peel off that, you know, you don't ever eat. <laughs> you know, because, you know, and, and those things, you know, they were, they were obvious, they came off and everything. But as I walked along, I found out other things that initially I would, didn't understand would be wrong, but I, that I was doing it and say, Oh, I, I don't believe that God is, is, receives this from me. He wants this to change. And more leaves of the artichoke come off. And I, I, I felt at one point, I'm not so sure that I can, I can say, use this, this, this analogy completely as my own anymore because sometimes I, I'm beginning to realize maybe I haven't even gotten through all the leaves. But at some point, you, know, you feel like you've, you, you've gotten through all the major issues and you're, you're still experiencing this thing before the throne of God of, Oh, I, I need to be right. I need to for, ask your forgiveness. I need to. to I'm saying, kind of like, Lord, does this ever end? And He says, Oh, Bob, we're finally just getting to the heart, and all the stuff that's really rooted in the heart. And you look at the thistle of an artichoke. What's the goal of the artichoke? To eat the heart, right? Don't you, you, you? Have you ever tried to eat the heart with the thistle in it? They get in between your teeth. Don't try. Uh, you won't get rid of them all. It's like touching a, a prickly cactus with your hand. It just, you know, it doesn't look like it should stick that bad, but man, it's going to burn for a long time. Um, you have to what that 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 thistle, scrape it or cut it out. You think about that as far as the eating part of a artichoke. Artichoke would be that would be the that of all that part of, of that process of eating it. That would probably be the most <laughs> painful part. You've got to say, I'm down to the scraping part. How long is that going to take? He says, well, it's not going to be complete until we're face to face. In other words, this newness of life is a constant transformation going on. We're never going to be past it. The thing is, is that what we do is we start to get, I, at some point, we, the, the transition kind of happens to, oh my gosh, you know, I've got this stuff and I've got to struggle with it. I, to the point where you're excited about the reality that you understand something and, and that God is working in it. God's worked in the past. He's going to work through this, and he's going to help me get through it and have victory over it. And the other thing, that, uh, that uh, the, the newness of life that is different about it, and, and just point to it quickly, and that's in Ephesians 6 where you put on the armor of God. 
you do not do this alone. You put on the armor of God, which includes you know, not only your salvation and your faith, but it includes the, the word of God as your sword, the part that, that cuts away. And I'm not so sure cutting away at anybody else as much as it cuts away at you. And occasionally pierces right into the bone uh, in the sense of, of pointing out, oh, this is not good. This isn't what God wants for me. So baptism, it's a part of who we are as Christ. It's a part of the way Jesus told us to identify ourselves as Christians. But it doesn't save us. But I do believe it unites us in the sense that we've made an agreement. What Christ has done for us, you can see in my agreement, I have agreed. I've been buried with Him. I've been raised with Him to walk in that newness of life. And so I've been baptized to, to symbolize that work and that I am in agreement with it. And that this is what I want to do and I want to walk in this newness of life. And so what do we practice here? We practice baptism by immersion. Full immersion. We practice believer's baptism. People who make a conscious choice to receive Christ. And, yeah, we tell people that in order to be a part of the congregation, baptism is the thing that should happen first. And why? Not because it saves you. Not because it... But because it identifies you in a way that Jesus wanted us to identify ourselves as a part of the body of Christ under a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I know that's capsulized. I know there's gaps. But that's generally it. And I, I wanted to just make sure that you understood at least what I think and, and what our bylaws basically say. You know, and this is how it reads. It just says, water baptism. The ordinance is, is for believers who have placed their faith in Christ. It's not a means of salvation, but is an act of obedience where a believer makes a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Baptism symbolizes the inward reality of being united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And now maybe you have the way I see that as a broader explanation. So... The reality is, is, is what he has done for us and, and, and automatically takes us right to the other ordinance, which would be communion, in the sense of, 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 of saying, this is where we recognize what Christ has done. The only reason why baptism has any significance to us at all is because of what Christ has done on the cross. Because he said the words, it is finished, pierced our heart with our own sins, and, and, and gave us the, the reality of what we needed to, to be right before the throne of God was to take his words, it is finished, and his blood that caused that to be the truth and apply it to our lives and become citizens of the kingdom of God, leaving behind our citizenship of the world. Are we still in the world? Yeah. When I say leaving behind our citizenship, I don't mean that that's freedom to, to, to not be a good citizen is in the country that you're, you're in or anything like that. What it is is that it tells you where your first call of unity and, and, and allegiance is, which is Jesus Christ. No matter what this world does, no matter what this country does, this is who I am in Christ. We see all over the world right now, and certainly in places like Saudi Arabia and others, uh, where this is taking a toll on those who stand up for Christ. But we stand there first. 
reality of who Christ is and what He's done for us. So I ask the ushers to come forward and uh, pass the communion out. Would you uh, hold it until we've all been served and, and we'll share it together. Supper, this ordinance is an act of obedience whereby the church remembers the sacrifice of Christ, proclaims the death of Christ, and anticipates the glories of Christ's kingdom to come. Communion is intended for believers who are 
not living in deliberate, unrepentant sin. Matthew says that not while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing the bread, he broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the, of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Lord, we come to... Communion together, often called the table of remembrance as well. You told us to do this in remembrance of you until you come again. Lord, we recognize that communion doesn't add anything to us before the throne of God. It doesn't make us a better Christian. But what it does is it It allows us to remember what you have done for us, what you are doing for us, and what you are going to do for us. It also makes us conscious, even now, Lord, that when we sin, how much we we can rest in your grace and and receive your forgiveness. What a comfort it is to know that that when we we go astray, we recognize that you you convict us, you pierce our heart about our own sin, and, and, and you tell us with an absolute confidence that that. As we confess our sins, you forgive us of them. And we thank you, Lord, that we can rest in that grace. We ask, Lord, that not only would you do we you know help us not only to help us in the sense of our sins, in the sense of forgiving us, Lord, but we ask you to help us to walk in that newness of life more and more, desiring your will in our life, your purpose glorify you and, and to, to enjoy you, to be more and more a part of our life. I think of how it came out of our Bible study last Wednesday night, to, to, re, to that, that idea of, of, of enjoying you in our first love relationship again and restoring that wow about who you are and what you've done, that we could always be in awe in, in, of the God of creation and the author of our salvation. And, and we love you, we worship you, we thank you. Go with us. Cause us to be the men and women of God you, you want us to be wherever we step, wherever we walk. And, and open our eyes to the opportunities to be able to share what you've done for us with other people. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we close? Uh, we have some refreshments.